Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. All right, so this morning we are continuing this uh, series, Extreme Heroes, and we're really looking at a number of different individuals throughout the Old Testament that lived out what God wanted them to do in some pretty extreme ways. Uh, And today we're looking at a guy that to most of us just seems like a big weirdo. And (laughs) honestly, if this guy doesn't seem a little bit off to you, you might be the strange one, okay? Uh, So if you've ever read about the life of Ezekiel, you'll notice very quickly that he just didn't live, or he just lived life differently uh, than anybody else around him expected him to. And it wasn't, uh, but isn't it true that when something's a little bit different, it stands out from the crowd? Isn't that true? That's why you like to people watch so much. Like, ooh, did you see that? Did you see that shirt? Who let her out of the house? Don't act like you don't do that, okay? Or how about, how about we go uh, with businesses? There's a lot of businesses that have done things differently and they stood out from the crowd because of it, like Uber. Uber like changed the game where really taxis were the only uh, option or, or Disney, how they are able to capture the minds of young people or Chick-fil-A. Goodness, like there's a lot of chicken places out there, but we're going to make our chicken better. And by the way, we are going to lead the industry with our customer service, right? They changed the game or Netflix. You don't have to drive the blockbuster anymore. We'll deliver it to your TV, Okay, or Amazon. There's so many things about Amazon that are game changers, but come on, prime shipping, game changer. Yes, yes, prime shipping. But there are so many examples of companies and individuals that plotted an unexpected path and stood out because of it. But here's the thing. I think this applies to us as well. As Christians, when we, when we live differently than the world expects, we get people's attention. So what I want to do this morning is just look at, at one aspect of life. It's the, it, it's the area of pain. And because it, when we respond to pain or suffering differently than how the world expects us to, it gains attention. Okay? Now, this can be difficult. I don't know about you, but I don't really like pain all that much. Um, it, if you hear about those guys or people that when they get sick, like they just turn into drama queens... I'm there, okay? If I get the flu, you'd think I was dying. Um, how many of you have a spouse? Like, don't, don't answer that. <laughs> don't answer that. Right? The reality is pain is a constant. Pain's a constant. It happens no matter who you are, whether you live in a different nation, whether you're from a different race, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, whether you're a libertarian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, atheist, Christian. Pain happens to all of us. Pain's one of those things you can count on, right? If you're not in pain right now or going through something hard right now, uh, it's likely coming, right? It's kind of like death and taxes. It's all kind of painful, okay? And it's easy for me to get up here on stage and talk about it. But whenever it happens, whenever your world just kind of breaks, you realize very quickly there's not much you could have done to prepare for it. So because of that, I want to look at what the Bible has to say about it Uh, Because we learned last week, God wants uh, and has a purpose for your life. 
He has a purpose for your life. He wants to use you in incredible ways, but that also includes your pain. And as awful as it is to experience, God can even take your pain and use it for good. If nothing else uh, encourages you this morning, remember that. God is in the business of taking broken things and using them for good. We see that all throughout the Bible. And I think when we can respond to pain in a way that, that, that points people toward him, it's an incredible thing. Now, in the Bible, Ezekiel is someone who's very familiar with pain. He can really relate to us on this. And if I could describe, again, this, this book in one word, Ezekiel's just bizarre, okay? You ever open the Bible and read a section, you're like, wait, what? What? Like, this is one of those books. Honestly, you should go back and read it. It's fascinating. It's, it's not just a book filled with these illustrations, but it's also a book filled with hope. And so Ezekiel's this young guy, he's around the age 25, when God calls him to go and preach to this group of Israelites that had been taken out of their home and dispersed through a land called Babylon. And they were in rebellion against God, okay? And so Ezekiel has this really unique mission and really unique message. And so he's, he's supposed to tell these Israelites that are exiled, he's supposed to tell them that their exile, their time away from their homeland is not going to be temporary. It's going to last quite a long time. And not only that, but they had to turn um, back to God. Now, some of you think your job is uh, kind of a headache right now, um, but <laughs> not anything compared to what Ezekiel's facing. I think Ezekiel wasn't all that popular at all. He's like that kid that we all hear about sitting by himself at the lunch table. Um, he is not, uh, he, he's not faced with a very easy message, but he's also given a method on how to, how to convey this message, a how-to. And so he's to give this message through illustrations. And you might think some of the illustrations we give, uh, you know, up here are a little bit odd, but Ezekiel's, they're just crazy. For example, in Ezekiel chapter 4, he, he takes this brick, this clay brick, and he, he draws the temple on it in Jerusalem. And then he surrounds this brick with little catapults and, and walls. He's really making a defense mechanism for this little brick. And as soon as he's done, like a madman, he just destroys it. Okay, so I'm reading this, and all I can think about is my son's room basically every day right? Like he's playing Godzilla to his poor little inhabitants of the Lego town. Just a mess. Another time, Ezekiel, talk about pain and suffering. Think about this. He lays on his side for 430 days, right? On his left side for 390 and on his right side for 40. Another time, and can we just be on the same page with this one? This is just disgusting. This is gross. Another time, Ezekiel was to cook his food over human dung, as the NASB so poetically puts it, right? And then, but he asks God, and I would probably as well, he asks God if it would be okay if instead of human dung, can I use cow dung? Which God graciously says, okay, that's fine. Which is better, I guess, but it's still not all that great. And then Ezekiel, he shaves his beard. And a third of it, he throws in the air and he kind of cuts at it with a sword. He takes a third of it and he throws it in the fire. And the last third, he, he shoves in his pocket. Okay, and he's conveying these, uh, these illustrations. And, and really, it's to show an example of how long it's going to take. Also, the destruction that's going to happen uh, in Jerusalem, in the temple. 
um, but it's also how much time it's going, they're going to be in exile. And all they had to do was heed Ezekiel's warning, turn from their rebellion and turn their allegiance back to God. That's all they had to do. But they kept looking at Ezekiel like he's crazy. And so we get to this focal point of Ezekiel's pain. All, this, all these illustrations are leading to chapter 24. So starting in verse 15, Ezekiel writes this. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, with one blow, I'm about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. Yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. Groan quietly. Do not mourn for the dead. Keep your turban fastened and your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your mustache and beard or eat the customary food of mourners. So I spoke to the people in the morning. In the evening, my wife died. The next morning, I did as I had been commanded. Then the people asked me, won't you tell us what these things have to do with us? Now, I think it's interesting that Ezekiel, this kind of eccentric prophet, this, this guy who's performing all these, these prophetic illustrations, that this guy was lovingly married, right? She must have been some woman. I think if I did half of what Ezekiel did, Stephanie, my wife, would have me committed, right? But the Bible calls his wife the delight of his eyes. Think about this. Up until this point, Ezekiel's story is already, and life is already marked by pain and suffering. He was captured and sent into exile into a nation that just destroyed his, his home. He's surrounded and he's trying to minister to his own people, but they're rejecting him and, and disregarding him. He's, he sacrifices time in his body doing these painful illustrations. He didn't have a home. He didn't have friends. He didn't have any security. And yet, Despite all of this, despite all of the pain that he's already gone through, I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that this event is the most painful event in Ezekiel's life. But isn't it interesting that, that each command God gives him is contrary, it's like the opposite of what a mourner in the ancient world would do, right? Those who mourned in the ancient world, they would tear their clothes, and yet God tells uh, Ezekiel to bind his turban. Those who mourned would walk barefoot, and God tells him to keep his shoes on. Those who mourn would, would shave their face, and God tells him to leave his face uncovered. And those who mourn on the day of the ceremony honoring the loved one, they were to take on food from the community to, to, for the week, right? And God says, deny any bread from man. And so Ezekiel's unnatural response to death immediately gains attention. It immediately draws questions. And so after all of these illustrations, and by the way, he responds to pain and death in this situation, he gets their attention. And once he has their attention, he's able to start speaking a different message. It's a message of hope. It's a message of restoration. We see this in Ezekiel 36. He says, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. It's, it's hope in the future that he's giving them. It's restoration. And then in chapter 37, again, he's giving them God's words. It says, my dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And so Ezekiel's conduct, in light of all this grief, draws questions. And eventually, it points people and all the people he was ministering to back to the hope he had in God. And I think that's true for us too. 
Now, I'm not saying, and I don't think that when someone passes or we go through pain, we should do exactly what Ezekiel did. I'm not saying that at all, obviously. But when we respond to tragedy and pain in life differently or contrary to what the world expects, it draws questions. It draws attention. And I think, I believe, it can show people the hope we have in Jesus. Now, many of you have experienced that. You know somebody who's gone through really life-altering pain or suffering. Maybe it was cancer and going through the chemo or radiation process. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe, maybe it was a financial or relational or even spiritual crisis that they're going through. And it's not that they're really happy, per se, but when you sit down with them, when you, when you spend time with them, when you see them, it's a little bit different. Right? Because they have, they have hope in a future. They have this joy that, that is contrary to what they're going through. They have hope in their relationship with Christ, with Jesus. See, when we jump into the New Testament and see what Jesus has to say about it, it's really interesting. It comes when Jesus is about to be arrested and taken to be crucified. And he, this last evening, he's spending with his disciples, and he's telling them all about what life is going to be like once he's gone. And at the very end of this conversation, Jesus says this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Now, I want to unpack that because Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. He's basically saying, don't be surprised when things don't go your way. Don't be surprised whenever stuff happens and it kind of ruins your plans. That's pretty normal. That's par for the course, right? He doesn't, he doesn't spin the truth. He's just super honest. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, you came thinking you were going to be encouraged this morning. Right? Do you feel encouraged yet? <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Life is tough. Don't get too attached to your own plans because the likelihood of something going wrong is pretty high. There are going to be detours. But then he follows this phrase up with this incredible next line. He says, but take heart. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And it's right here. Right here is how we can uh, respond to pain differently than the world. right? Because Jesus has overcome the world. Now, notice what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say, uh, I'm, I'm going to take away all your troubles. I'm going to fix all the problems in your life. I'm going to go in and make your life just all better again. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says something far more important. He says, I have overcome the world. And that, that word overcome really means to conquer or to defeat or to have victory over. See, Jesus is up to something far more important and far bigger than just a quick fix. Okay? He's, not, he's not just stronger than whatever it is you're going through this morning. He has overcome the world itself. He's taken on the sins of the world. All those things that, that are separating us from God, all those things that cause pain and anger and frustration and sickness and, 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 and hurt feelings and betrayal, he's taken all those things on himself. To, and he took them to the cross and he took them to the grave. And now he's been raised from the dead. He says, I have overcome the world. See, the cross isn't just dealing with the, the sins that are in our hearts. The cross changes everything. You can have hope in a future because of what Jesus did on the cross. He says, I've defeated the root issue. Now, at that moment in time, life, it changed everything, right? 
as theologians uh, call it, we live in what's called the already but not yet. Jesus has already defeated sin and death. He's already done that, but we're not quite free from the pain and uncertainty of it. But in the meantime, we can have confidence in the hope and hope in, in what Jesus has done. Jesus knows the end of the story. He's already won, but we're still dealing with some of the pain. It's kind of like a woman going through childbirth. How, how can she endure that pain? Well, it's because of something good that's coming. It's something good that's coming. She can endure it now because it's going to be worth it in the end when she can celebrate the birth of her child. Right? She bears the suffering because of the joy that's before her. Now, you might think life is always going to be this way. Doesn't it seem like that sometimes? Where the pain is just never ending. Pain sometimes seems like it's never going to end. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. Which which means he already knows the end of the story. He, He knows how it's going to turn out. And it's not with tears or pain. It's actually the end of those things. This is how the Bible describes that day. He says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. I can't wait for that day. And so as we wrap up this message, I want to give you a few words of encouragement. Whether you came in this morning and life is just weighing heavy on you or you think life is going really well right now. Three words of encouragement. And the, the first thing is this, don't give up. Don't give up. Right? When the pain feels so like, heavy and hope seems so distant from you, don't give up. When you're on the verge of throwing in the towel and you feel like that in your, in, in your heart, it's just take heart. Take heart. The literal meaning of that is be, be brave, be bold, have courage. Don't give up. Reach out for help. Right? Get into a small group. Surround yourself with other people pushing you to be uh, and, and walking through those things with you. Get, seek out a counselor. I think we push that off way too long. Seek out a counselor. Don't give up. Instead of quitting your job, your difficult job, pray, start praying that God makes you your best self on Monday. Right? Instead of giving up, instead of checking out on a, on a relationship that's strained right now, don't give up. Pray, confront, apologize, even when it's hard. Do the hard things. Don't give up on that. Maybe it's your faith. Don't give up on your faith. Keep praying. Keep praying. Know that Jesus and believe that Jesus has it. He can handle it. And as you work through these, the second thing, uh, kind of word of encouragement, we touched on it earlier, but it's this, that Jesus can bring good from any evil. Jesus can bring good from any evil. Romans 8.28 can be so encouraging in this. When it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, he doesn't always give us the why, but he always has a for what, right? He always has a for what. He can even use the worst suffering for good. He can use whatever trouble you have right now, to grow your character. He can use it to bring people together in deeper relationship and love with one another. He can can even use our pain to bless others. And some of you have done that. Because whenever somebody goes through something, they're, they're uniquely equipped to help somebody that's going through something similar. And so God can even use the worst stories, the darkest stories, for good. It doesn't make our suffering right. It doesn't even necessarily make our suffering easier in the moment. But suffering, you need to know this, is never for nothing. It's never for nothing. 
The message of the cross is that the very, the very moment that showed the worst of us, the worst of humanity, showed the best of God, the best of God's love. He could take the worst and use it for good. It's never for nothing. And the last thing is you're not alone. It feels like you're alone, but you're not alone. God's with you. God suffers with you. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. It's, it's Jesus' way of saying, I get it. Right? I, I know what you're going through. I lived through it. Maybe it's tension in a relationship. Maybe it's tension in your marriage, loneliness, financial stress in your family. Maybe you're, maybe you're seeing something unfold in a person you love's life. That's hard. That's hard. Maybe it's grief over loss. God knows what you're going through. He knows. You see, Jesus didn't come into the world just to explain our, our suffering. He came to share it. He came to share it. The writer of Psalm 10, he put it, put it this way. He says, but you, God, you see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. He takes it in hand. God can handle what you're going through. He can handle anything that, you're, that, that you throw at him. He can handle cancer. He can handle divorce. He can, he can handle sickness. He, he can even handle death. He says, take heart. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so I don't know what you brought in with you this morning. I don't know uh, what struggles you're dealing with. I, I don't know how that feels. I don't know the pain that you're going through and that you're experiencing. But I do know that there's hope available to you. There is hope in the future available to you. And God can take whatever it is, and he can t- use it for good. So don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep seeking him. Seek community. Let's do that together. Let's pray. God, thank you so much um, that you walk through this life with us, that you don't leave us alone. God, give us, give us wisdom and just just an ability to trust in you and have confidence in the future that you lay out in your word where there is no pain, there is no crying, there are no tears. God, we look forward to that day. God, help us not to give up. Help us to be bold as we go through life and experience pain and suffering and trouble and trials. God, that we can have hope in the future. And that draws attention, that draws questions that we can show people the hope we have in you and we can point people to the hope we have in you. God, we love you. We trust you. You comfort us when we need it. And you're always there. God, if somebody's going through uh, something heavy right now, give them, give them peace. Give them the comfort that they need right now. Give them a community, a community of believers that that walks through life with them. Praise for them. God, give them hope in a future that is so much better than this. God, we love you. Pray this in your name. Amen.